Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our e-commerce show and today I'm here with Rasmus Barfred from New York. He founded a swimming brand with his co-founders and he's originally from Denmark and they were in Shark Tank and I'm really happy to say that they managed to get uh, backed by uh, Mark Cuban. But besides that, they also attracted more than 100,000 customers in total in the past few years and their mission is to help swimmers swimming more comfortable. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey Rasmus, how are you today? Hey Dan, I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah, so Rasmus is originally from Denmark and I know he moved to New York. Is it because mostly because of business? Yeah, when we started up the business in 2017, we, I think there were two, two things that led us. One was a personal experience of moving abroad and, and at that time we, we didn't have kids. It was just me and my wife and it was an easy move. And then of course also the, the business rationale that our core market with swimmers is uh, it's really big in the U.S. and it's a much more homogenous market than basically anywhere else. So it would be it would be great to to make it here instead of in Europe where it's like yeah. several small countries. Tell us more about your background story. When did you move to New York? We moved in late seventy um, mm-hmm. from Denmark, and we started the Magic Five in in seventy. At that point in time, I had handful of years working in bigger companies in the chemicals industry and in media industry so completely different areas but working with mergers and acquisitions and corporate stuff of that nature yeah. so did that for five years and then before that when i was 18 i founded my or started my first company actually with one of the co-founders in the magic Five. so that is like 14 something years ago 15 years ago we started that so basically had my first startup for for three years ish and then some some years in the corporate world and then back to startup which i really like so that's uh, that's kind of my background. And, yeah. Are you the only founder, or there are multiple co-founders? So we are with three co-founders in the Magic Five. And uh, do you know each other from the business world or before business? So Nicholas and I we met at university, Copenhagen uh, Business School. So that's where where we met like many years ago. Bo and I, uh, Bo is actually my uncle. So we know each other for most of my life, and we uh, we started up our first business together 14, 15 years ago, the one that I mentioned before. We have worked together for a long time and knew exactly, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses very well. So it was back in 2017. And uh, how did you come up with the idea of this business? So it was actually, um, so Bo, he uh, he called me one day. He had been on a, on like a fitness vacation. He was training for an, to an Ironman, so he was preparing and he forgot his swimming goggles for this vacation so he had to go out and try to find some goggles and just like couldn't find anything that fit him it was super frustrating when he came home from that training and he called me and he was like which goggles do you use like i had this old pair that was like the least worst but then i forgot my goggles and i couldn't find anything to work and i was like well i i can't this is back before we started the business, obviously. I told him that I couldn't find goggles that worked for me, so I just went for the cheapest possible pair. Uh, I think I tried like 10 different swimming goggles. Everyone was like comfortable and neat and stuff like that. Uh, and that's actually what, what started the idea that we were like, hey, it makes total sense that swimming goggles don't fit 
like we all have different shapes around our eyes and swimming goggles are one size fits all. So we came up with the idea that if we could, if we could get data on, on people's face, see what they look like from a data point of view, then we could custom produce a product that would be much better. That was actually the original idea. And then we started developing the technology, how you scan your face, how the goggles, are, how we find out how to produce a goggles so they fit your face. So you started developing a software for it, right? Like uh, some kind of AI tool or, or software tool? The very first thing we did was actually just buying a lot of swimming goggles and trying to understand how do you produce normal swimming goggles. Mm-hmm. And then you're totally right. Then it was about the technology. At that time, you couldn't license a scanning technology that would scan your face. You can do that today. That gives you some of that code, but we have to develop that. And then, but that's, that's kind of the easy part for us, like getting the data, the difficult thing is once we have the data, then we, now we have more than 100,000 customers. So 100,000 times more, our fitting technology has gone in and said, okay, you have like a big pool of data that represents someone's face. Now we need to fit an object to that face to make sure that it is super tight and fits exactly like we want it to fit, right? And that fitting technology is really our core. Um, and I think what is separating us from other companies that want to do mass customization that we have actual experience in making more than 100,000 products in this way, where a lot of other companies are more focused on, on let's say, selling a software platform. So we are very focused on end product, product that the customer get in their hands and has been, been focused on that from, yeah, from day one. Yeah. And uh, so every Google is different, yeah. basically. Why didn't you just decide that, uh, like many or most fashion and clothing and you know uh, sport equipment stores or businesses, mm-hmm. let's just come up with five different uh, types for yeah. narrow face or wide face, whatever, and mm-hmm. that's it. Having just categories and that's it. No software, nothing. So I think for uh, for the swimming product category, the performance of the product is very binary. So it's either working or not working, if you look at it like objectively. Either it is leaking, either water gets into your goggles and then it's, don't know if you're swimming yourself, yeah. but that is extremely frustrating, right? And water will get in, right? Even through the tiniest crack, right? So for us, the idea of making another subpar product that was like a standard size and then just like matching that up against uh, like your face type, we could like create 20 archetypes of faces, right? Exactly like you said, and then just give them which of the product, which the products would be best. We just don't really don't believe in that for this product category. It would be such a subpar experience. Then with our technology, it's no secret that we can we we can work with other products and swimming goggles. Like whether our technology fits a, a mask to your face or something else, doesn't matter, right? It's basically the same product. And it's not uh, necessarily the case that all products in the world need a one-to-one, 100% custom product, right? Some products, you might get sufficient product performance by having 20 variations, for instance. We have the technology that can enable all of that, but for the swimming goggles, we are are super focused on on that one product and making that one-to-one experience. Have you ever measured, uh, because you said it's very binary, so either good or not, and mostly because the voter if it comes in or not have you ever measured it with numbers like regular goggles 20 out of 100 the voter comes in but ours is only one out of 100 or anything like that that would be very interesting to see so i think the, the best research we have done on that part was we we did a random questionnaire in Denmark before we started the business got 400 responses that represented triathletes, competitive swimmers, recreational swimmers like my mom who swims once a week. 95% of the responses came back with an answer that either was like 
my goggles leak outright. I get headaches because I need to tighten my goggles so much. I get mm -hmm. bruises on top of my nose because the nose eye doesn't fit. I get massive red rings around my eyes because I need to tighten my goggles too much, right? 95% of that questionnaire came back and said, hey, there's like a fit-related issue with my swimming goggles. With our goggles, we end up refunding of the orders due to fit. So we have a fit guarantee. So if you're not happy with the fit of the goggles, one reason or the other, reach out to us and we will understand from a data point of view why, why the goggles are not working as they're supposed to, right? And then we end up refunding 1% because we'll, uh, we we can't get to a point where the customer is happy. So I think that's really the, the best metrics that we have to look at that mm -hmm. and say that 1% of the goggles we send out, our fitting technology is not working sufficiently. Yeah, that's a huge uh, improvement. And yeah. it's great that you measured it. And then I think the, the, the most like visual, best visual way to see it is actually to see all the products that we produce, all the hundreds of goggles that we produce every day, just seeing the difference in the goggles, right? How they fit into your faces. Like it makes so much sense that a one size fits all product doesn't work when you see all the different types of goggles that gets out of our mm. production line. Let's talk about Shark Tanks. So many businesses, they, they want to go down and the you know, bootstrapped way. And some of them, they are very, they really want to stick to it. Uh, they think about investing as steroids. Maybe, you know, marketers who have uh, copies like this on their website. I know a few, but uh, I, I think investing is, is, is a great thing, actually, and it can speed up things. So what was the moment when you decided to go for investors or going to Shark Tank? So I think from most of so we have gotten some funding along the way, but not not a lot of funding. We're not a like, typical VC-funded company with, with a lot of funding. We have been very focused on, on building like an, an organic business um, that's a healthy business, right? And there's also like cash flows issues when you have inventory and uh, things that uh, we have machinery and stuff like that. So that's, that's of course, always tricky to handle that. But I think for us going on Shack Tank, it was two things that we also talked about on the show. One is that we, we feel that we have a product that is like, it's a uh, our customer base is everyone from like top Olympics to recreation swimmers that swim once a week, right? The bulk of our customers and the mass, like the, the, there's more, more swimmers in the recreation market than in the competitive market, yeah. right? So reaching that audience through a, a mass consumer a television show was super interesting and a very, very good way for us to get awareness. Then in the US, the Shark Tank brand is, is a really strong brand to have associated with you. So from, from marketing and acquisition point of view, we have been able to compete on like this very detailed, like Google, for instance. There were search terms that we that we couldn't really compete on before Shark Tank because we were a new unknown brand. And now we can compete on some of those more like bigger generic search terms like swimming goggles or stuff like that, which is super good for our brain. And then, the, so that was all about the swimming goggles. The second thing that we really wanted to get out of Shark Tank was the swimming goggles is like the product that we market right now, but our technology has potential to work with basically any product, right? And then it, it might not make sense to work with any product, but the transition into other product verticals and making that whole move was something that we were seeking strategic guidance on from the Shanks and why we were went into the tank and wanted to get either Mark, Mark Cuban or Robert Herjewicz in as investors. And then we were lucky to get both of them in, but how they can help us to broaden out and, and use the technology in other. So there were multiple purposes, not just the investment, of course. We'll no. get into the show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That was an amazing experience. It was super fun. It was, uh, we had no idea how, how big it was to, 
to be in LA and do the, the recording. But it was an amazing experience. Uh, it was also now episode obviously went very well, but it was it made you super proud to pitch the business in front of a set of investors who is part of a reality show, right? So they they yeah. could they could do whatever they wanted, and but they ended up being very interested, and we ended up getting multiple offers from all the sharks. How long is a pitch? Because I think on the TV show it's cut, right? It's edited. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's so it's edited down to like eight, ten minutes ish per segment. We were in the tank for like little shy of an hour. Mm -hmm. So come in and then you the first sixty seconds they can't they're not allowed to interrupt you. So you do your the practice pitch, which is you you see all of that in in the yeah. in TV. But then after that it's kind of free reigns. Like whatever happens happens. Right, you might be there for ten minutes and then you're kicked out, or you might be there for longer and it goes as it goes. So that's um, yeah we went there for fifty five minutes and the first 10-15 minutes after after our initial pitch was like being challenged in some of our numbers and asking some questions that that didn't made it to television so more like investor related questions like cost of acquisition like cost of goods sold all of that all of those things but then after that it was it was more about the negotiations with the sharks mm -hmm. them arguing with each other why mr wonderful would be the worst investor we would ever get and, you know a lot of things that was more for television than, than actually for us yeah. and uh when you negotiated you were like i want to make a deal with at least one of them or you were very open to you know not not uh, accepting any offers if that's the thing like first off when you go into the tank you have no idea what's going to happen Right. We had a pretty high ask valuation wise. And for us, it was very important that, that they understood that, okay, we are targeting a very attractive niche market that is not a lot of competition and almost no innovation in the market. So it's, it's a good proposition in our core market with the swimming goggles. But the rationale behind our valuation and what we want to do is how do we move into other products? First, mm -hmm. other products on your face, then other products, hands or feet or different body parts. Right. So for us, we like if it goes well and if we can we can pick and choose, then Mark and Robert were our preferred investors. And then we had like a, a flaw on how far we wanted to go down in valuation. We know that it's a it's a TV show and part of the drama is that valuation discussion and they make they really make an effort out of communicating that they need a discount on the valuation and they don't pay the normal price and mm -hmm. you know, with all these viewers and blah blah blah. It, we we had a we had a we had a flaw and we knew that we didn't want to go under that and yeah and then it had, went as, as it went. What uh, would you say? Uh, who should go into Shark Tank and what what would be your number one tip to them if they want to get into? Who who shouldn't go there? It's five million viewers in prime time US. All the press and all the attention that surrounding your business is makes sense for a lot of companies to go on. If you have a, a consumer product, a tangible product, something that's easy to relate to, something that's like take it down from the shelf in Target or buy it online on this website, something that is like transactional, I think, in that sense. But you've also seen other like vending machines being hugely successful on Shark Tank, right? Which is completely different. I think if you don't know your numbers and if you don't like, it's too easy for them to see through that, right? We know all our numbers and we know strengths and weaknesses in our business. And they picked that up very quickly after mm -hmm. 10 minutes of like just challenging all our data points. They under, they, they could see that we understood all the value drivers behind each data point, right? What's the up and downside on your cost of goods sold? What's the up and downside on your customer acquisition costs? How much can you scale the operations? And how quickly can you do that? And what's the bottleneck to do that? And, you know, all those type of questions. If you, if you don't know that when you go on, I think you are. You're set up to have like a really hard time 
not necessarily failure, but a hard time. So yeah, I, I watched the not just the US, the American Shark Tank, but that is the British version. We had a client who was in the Indian version. We also have it here in Hungary. So many countries, they have this show. I think actually the British version was before Shark Tank. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I, I watched a few episodes from different cultures and everywhere numbers are, are very important. And uh, some business owners, they were not aware of their numbers. And maybe it's even some negative promotion for them. Like, you know, as a person, as a business owner, they don't know their acquisition costs, returning customer rates. I think that's important if you look for investment you should know those i think an example that like approaching to e-commerce or market online marketing right i think a good example that a lot of marketers can relate to is or brand owners is uh, especially i think um, sms email marketers or sms yeah. marketers right they the first title you see in most of the emails that you get from them is uh, five thousand percent ROAS or you know something obscure numbers right if you go on shark tank and say that and prove that you don't understand the acquisition funnel, right? That hey, there's not a 5,000 times return on SMS marketing because we've, we've already spent a lot of people, a lot of money to get them into the funnel. Then um, they call that bluff right away. Yeah. Uh, so speaking about channels, I'm really interested. Uh, what channels do you use to grow? And by time, how it it has changed? You, you mentioned SEO. SEO. Yeah. The main thing for us has been to build like a, um, a foundation of a... a Facebook, Instagram, Google, PPC, a combination of, of that, get, get traffic from Facebook, Instagram, and Google. And then as you can say, that's like, that's a never ending story and that environment changes all the time, right? It's once like one playing field five years ago and a completely different playing field today, but we're working on building other channels on as we go, right? Pinterest and TikTok and but Facebook, Instagram and Google has been has been the core. We are also looking into how we can get out and get some more traditional marketing the swimming goggles. So getting you can say one of the disadvantages of pay the way that like for us at least is that people buy our product when they cognitively have the, the product issue very close, right? So you go to the pool, you do laps. The second you stop after 200 meters and have to empty your goggles with water, yeah. like right when you flip the goggles open, I would like it to be like a banner. Hey, get custom fitted goggles. That's like that's the ideal case, right? I can't hit them with a paid ad at that point in time because they're not on the phone, right? So I might hit them when they go to the locker room, when they go to the toilet afterwards when they are on their way home in the bus or the metro or whatever it is, or late at night. And then like the longer time we get from that instance where you had the issue, the more difficult it is to convert. So we are trying to get closer and closer and closer to the point in time where they have the issue. That's the point where it's easiest to, to solve the problem. And that's where like you can do a lot of great things with targeting and now targeting is, is different animal again on Facebook, but our focus is really to get closer to that inflection point when our customers have the issue, right? That's that's super valuable for us. Yeah, so I say, I'd say like channels, uh, traditional e-commerce funnel takes up the majority. Let's say the top top three are Facebook, Instagram for awareness and, and new cold traffic, uh, Google, mostly brand, but also a little bit of cold traffic now that we can compete on broader term, search terms. And then uh, email marketing instrumental to get people through the funnel. Yeah, I think what you said about the problem and uh, putting uh, your ads and your ban banners uh, there, and not in an online way, but offline way with traditional advertising, that's pretty smart. That would be great if you could target people with Facebook ads next to their pool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that is possible. 
because that would be very targeted. But uh, you can like if if you do location specific, you could target like some big pool athletics facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't uh, we haven't had any success with that like micro level targeting yet. Once I was on a highway and uh, I was sitting in a car next to my friend, and on my Facebook on my phone I got ads about some highway service and that was quite specific quite targeted because a highway is you know it's, it's not a huge area it's not a city it's just a very narrow lane let's say so yeah but um, yeah so but i think the, the channels the marketing mixes those are like really the core and then we we're working with affiliate that's a that's a different and also like a, a jungle where there's a lot of uh, like no really value add activities that people should look out for but also a lot of opportunity if you if you do it right that's kind of the, the focus that we have yeah do you think the sharks uh or or you know when you talk to them they asked about the acquisition channels they wanted to see that you are not just a Facebook ad reliant brand or, or SEO reliant brand, but you have multiple diversified channels. Is this something they care about? They actually didn't pay that much attention to it in um, doing the, the pitch. Um, I think we walked through the different channels we have. We also have we also have some more like we have partnerships with swim teams and triathlon teams. So mm -hmm. we partner with them and give them like special treatment and some different offers and limited editions and stuff like that. But I think they it's it was a given in the conversation that to achieve the growth that we want, that can't that won't just be a, a Facebook ad. We need to have other things that kind of support what around it. Paid advertising might continue to be the biggest part in our acquisition budget, but we need awareness. We need advertising right in front of the customer's eyes when they empty the garbage with water. Right? Get that brand recognition. I don't have more questions and uh, thanks for coming here today and sharing your story. Now we are over a hundred episodes, but you were the first who was in a shark tank and uh, yeah, congrats on the business and I hope you can grow further. Yeah. So thanks again, Rasmus and thanks everyone. We listen to the podcast episode in the future. Feel free to ask a question from us. We will reply. And uh, if you listen to the podcast, don't forget to give us a review. Thanks again, everyone. And uh, stay tuned.